Good morning, New Life Church, and happy Father's Day to all the dads. I know being a dad is an incredible thing. In fact, uh, almost every weekend, my kids beg me if they can pick my outfit while I preach. And today on Father's Day, I let them do it, right? So that's right. I'm cool now. Uh, but uh, before we even get into the message, I really wanted to honor God again together as a church. Can I ask you to stand to your feet for me? And uh, who, who's grateful that we have a perfect father in Jesus, right? And he is such an incredible dad and he's adopted us and he loves us and he's there for us and he strengthens us and provides for us. And, and we just need to acknowledge that he is the best dad in the world. And some of you dads today, you got a mug that said best dad. I got a mug that said awesome dad, but there isn't one greater than God, right? And so on the count of three, I want us to shout happy Father's Day to our heavenly father. Can we do that together? One, two, three. Let's celebrate God this morning. Woo! Amen. Woo! So good. You guys are welcome to have a seat. Uh, today I want to just talk to you a little bit about influence. Do you know that there's things in your life that influence you? Influence how you think. Influence what you like. Influence your habits. Influence how you live. What do you think is, has the most influence over you? Do you think it's the music you listen to or the shows you watch or your relationship with God? Like, what would you say has a lot of influence over you? What has power over you? What has the ability to change you? Can you think about that for a moment? Because there's actually been studies done about this. And they have proven time and time again one of the greatest things that has power over you and has the ability to influence you and change you is the people around you. The people around you, and I know some of you, you're listening and you're already going, nah, man, that's not true. Not me. The people around me, like, they have no effect on me. I'm bulletproof. Like, I, I, I make up my own mind. But, but they have done social studies on this. In fact, one of the largest and longest social studies has proven otherwise. One of the largest studies that spans 30 years proves scientifically that your influence around you, the people around you, they have a massive impact on how you live. In fact, let me give you some stats. Some of you like science. Here's some stats for you. If you are friends with an obese person, do you know that your chances of picking up weight in the next two to four years goes up by 45%. Crazy, hey? And listen, it doesn't just stop there. It goes one layer deeper. If your friend of a friend has picked up weight, your chances of picking up weight now goes up by 20%. Even if you don't know the person, even if you've never met them, the fact that they're friends of your friend. And it goes one layer more. If your friend of a friend of a friend is struggling with their weight, your chances, more than the average person of struggling with your weight, goes up by 10%. Moral of the story, your friends make you fat. <laughs> right? At least now I have something else to blame it on, right, when I pick up weight. But, but it's interesting how powerful the social group is around us. In fact, they've done the same study and they've shown the same is true of smoking, for example. If you have a friend in your circle that smokes, your chances of you smoking goes up by 61%. And if your friend of a friend smokes, then you have a 29% greater chance of smoking yourself. 
even if you've never met them. And if your friend of a friend of a friend smokes, well, then your chances of smoking goes up by 11%. Isn't that crazy? And what, what, what it does is we see that people actually, they influence what is normal to us. And the society around us, the circles around us, they have the ability to adjust what is normal. They're able to adjust without us even knowing it. They're able to adjust our idea of a body image, of healthy lifestyle. They're able to adjust without us knowing. They can influence what we see as an acceptable habit. What about happiness? Well, the study shows, guess what? No surprise. If, you're, if you have a happy friend, your chances of being happy goes up significantly. And again, it happens to the second and the third layer. If your friend of a friend is a happy person, your chances of living a happier life goes up by 6%. Isn't that insane? Now, maybe you're thinking, well, 6% isn't much. Well, other studies have shown us that if you get a 150,000 rand a year raise in money, your happiness only goes up 2%. In other words, your friend of a friend of a friend being really happy is worth half a million rand a year to you. Your circle matters. And you might think that you're one of those who doesn't, I promise you. The way the people around you live has a direct impact on how you will live. The people around you, like it or not, they're the ones who are going to determine your future. What I want to invite you to do today is to start evaluating that influence. Who is around you? Who's influencing your life, your habits, your idea of health, your idea of marriage, your idea of God? Because guess what, guys? If you and I want a committed, healthy, strong relationship with Jesus Christ, We can't do it alone. We're going to need to be in godly community. We're going to have to have a people, a community, a group around us who love Jesus, who want to walk with him, who are committed to him, who are helping us grow. In fact, your chances of being spiritually healthy grows goes up significantly if the people around you are spiritually healthy. The reality is you need godly community. You need it. You need it to be healthy. You need it to have a successful walk with Jesus. You need godly community. Will you encourage someone with that truth? Look at them and say, you need it. But the thing is, godly community is not always easy. And you've probably experienced this. And in fact, I think you experience this even if you've only been a Christian for like five seconds. Even if you're not a Christian and you just know of Christians, you've probably experienced, it's not easy always being... A friend with a Christian. You know why? Because our expectation with Christians is different, isn't it? We think this, we have a Christian friend and they love God. Hey, and I love God. And they love Jesus. And I love Jesus. Oh man, this relationship is going to be so easy. It's going to require no work. We both love God. I mean, this is a godly relationship. This is a... Christian relationship, and yes, if we were Christians, like friends with non-Christians who didn't love Jesus, yeah, it's messy and ugly, but this is a Christian person. And so you develop a relationship with another Christian and you think it's going to be great. And after about one minute, you start to find out, oh, wow, 
you're a little bit messy. And you're a little bit complicated. And you're kind of broken. You're kind of not doing all the things I heard you were going to do when we were at youth group the other night. And we start to realize that these people we're in relationship with, they're broken and messy and complicated, just like you are. Because here's the things about a Christian circle, a Christian community. A Christian community is made up of godly relationships. Godly relationships are made up of regular people. And regular people, they have some real problems. Any regular people in the room? Look at someone and say, I've got some real problems. All of you in the room do. And if we were to be in friendship with you, we would bump into some of your real problems. And this is the problem with our expectation that Christian relationship is going to be great and easy and trouble-free and require no work. It's a lie. And so you keep on joining a relationship, getting into friendship, and you walk away disappointed. Because the truth is, guys, even if you found the perfect group of people, they would stop being that way the day you joined them. Is that true? And so some of you have had your fingers burned. You've been let down by Christians. That's one of the reasons that Christians are not close to you. Some of you sitting right now, you're disappointed in some Christians. You're heartbroken by them. You're, you're feeling let down by them. You're angry with them. You can think about incidents and stories and it still brings pain to your life and you felt the messiness and, and if Christian community matters so much to our faith, how do we get it right? Like how do you and I establish a godly community around us if it's going to be so messy? Well, thank goodness, I think the Bible has the answer for us. In fact, we're going to see a relationship between Jesus and Peter. It's a beautiful relationship, but it's messy and it's complicated and there's brokenness. But I think in this relationship with Jesus and Peter, you and I can learn some valuable lessons about how to establish godly community because you need it. You need it. And so we're going to see this friendship kick off. This friendship starts off in the book of Matthew chapter 4. And it says this from verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets. Everyone say left their nets. And they followed him. Something interesting about the birth of this friendship is that it cost Peter something to have it. In fact, it cost Peter quite a lot to have this godly community with Jesus. In Peter's case, he had to leave behind his income, his business, his way of life. And we just read those sentences, oh, he left his nets. But actually what it's saying is that he had to leave everything he knew. He had to leave his life, what he was going to do during the day, his reputation, everything about that changed. And the truth is, the reason some of you are not in godly community is because you're not willing to leave your nets. You're not willing to sacrifice, and I want to encourage you guys, if you and I are going to be committed 
to godly community, we're going to have to sacrifice some things. You're going to have to sacrifice your time, by the way. <laughs> some of you are going to have to sacrifice some of your habits, some of the stuff you do on a weekend, some of the ways you like to care. Some of you, you're going to have to sacrifice some people. There are some people in your sphere of influence and you know they're not good for your faith. They're determining your future. They're determining the strength of your relationship with Jesus. And if you and I are going to have godly community, we have got to be willing to sacrifice, to leave our nets behind. You see, godly relationships require commitment. Everyone say commitment. And this is what I think is missing a lot. I mean, we see Peter, he's committed. From day one, he's all in. Like he's closed the business. He's not turning back. But often in Christian relationships, we're kind of half in, right? We're like, oh, well, let me try this out. We, we, we join Christian relationships. We like, we put it on a trial run. Like this is a testing phase. We, we go to that circle, for example. And, and we go to the circle and in our minds, we're thinking, well, let me just see how this goes. We're not all in. The problem with that People will never feel like family until you treat them like family. And you know with family, man, they're hard to get rid of. Like you're stuck with them, even when they irritate you, even when they let you down, even when they frustrate you, you're stuck with them. And yes, family relationships can break, but it takes a lot to break a family relationship. If you and I are truly going to be in Christian community, we have to start treating people like Family, so that they can become family, which means you stick it out when you're annoyed and frustrated and disappointed and let down because true godly commitment, godly influence, godly circles, it takes commitment from you saying, I'm all in. I'm not signing up for a trial run. Like you are going to be my people and we're going to sort out whatever we need to sort out. Like I'm all in. I think it's time for you and I to commit to godly community can you look at someone and say it's time to commit? The second lesson we can learn from this friendship with Jesus and Peter, we find in John 1, 42. It says, Jesus looked at him, Peter, and he said, you, you are Simon, son of John. That was his name. But you will be called Cephas, which when translated means Peter. Jesus, as he meets Peter, he looks at him intensely and he says, this is who you are. You are Simon, you're the son of John. That's your current state. You know what the word Simon means? Wavering one. <laughs> Unreliable, right? You're Simon. Some of you, you feel like Simon. But Jesus doesn't treat him based on who he is now. He treats him based on the potential that God has put in him. And he looks at him and says, you are known as Simon. But from this moment on, I'm calling you Peter. And you know what Peter means? It means rock. You are no longer the wavering one. I'm calling you the rock. Man, that's interesting, isn't it? Because it shows us what it takes to have godly community. It means that when you and I are in godly community, we speak more into who the person will be than who they are today. It's having people around us who are committed to speaking not into who we are right now, but into who we will be, into our potential. 
It means having friends around you who, who call you a faithful servant of God, even though you're kind of unfaithful. They're speaking that into you. Have friends around you, a community around you that speak purity into you and wholeness into you, even though you're kind of acting broken and unwhole. This is what godly community does. Godly community speaks more into who you will be than into who you are right now. Are you in that kind of community? Because these are the kind of people that we need to be looking for and looking at. Not people who are judging completely my life right now, but people who can see what God wants to do in me. People who realize that I'm a work in progress, that Jesus, he's still busy transforming my life. And they look at me with hope and they look at me with potential. They're not judging who I am right now. They're looking forward to saying, hey, I believe there's more in your life. I believe there's a calling in your life. I believe there's a purpose. I be- believe there's something that God has planned just for you. I'm speaking that into your life. That's what godly community does. It's what you should do for others. And it's the kind of friendships you should be looking for so that people can do it for you. It means when you go to someone and you say, you know what? I have this dream in my heart. I- I feel like I have this calling, like I have this vision, like I have this idea, like I want this for my future. They're not people who look at you and go, "Mm, I don't know about that. I don't think that's a good idea. I mean, go for it if you want to, but I think that's terrible. No, it's people that when you go to and you share your dream in your heart, they look at you and say, yes, I can see it too. With God, all things are possible. In fact, I'm going to stand with you and get in there with you, in your vision with you, and I'm going to pray with you. Come, let's fast together this this week. I'm I'm going to phone you every day at your lunchtime, and we're going to pray together for two minutes in your lunch break. Godly community does that. doesn't treat you based on who you are now. It, It always looks at who you could be, what God could do in you. The third lesson we learn from the relationship with Jesus and Peter is that godly community, guys, it's filled with disappointment. Filled with it. And and I love that out of all the people, Jesus chooses Peter as a one to be the foundation for the church because Peter, and he messed up. Again and again and again and again. Like Peter didn't get it right. Like this guy, man, he he often lived out of his brokenness and his confusion. But Jesus didn't give up on him. And it reminds me, guys, that when you are in relationship, things will get messy. In fact, whoever you are in a friendship with, let me tell you this today. There is a test coming if it has not come yet. Whoever you are in a relationship with, there is a disappointment coming if it has not come yet. When you are in a relationship with a human being, you will be disappointed. You'll have a turn to do the disappointing, and you'll have a turn to be the disappointed one. Look at someone and say, I'm going to disappoint you. We actually see this at a moment where Jesus, I think, needed his friends the most. Jesus' ministry is being tested. His divinity and calling is being tested. It's one of the hardest moments for Jesus. We see him. The Bible says his soul is in anguish. It says it's crushed with grief. Maybe some of you know what it feels like. There's a heaviness on you. And it's in this moment that Jesus reaches out to his closest friends and he says, guys, I need you. I need you. 
Sometimes when we're in those moments, we, need, we just need people close to us. And we, we know they can't do it for us, but just having them close just eases the pain. Some of you in your hardest moments of your life, you know what that's like when you've gone through that divorce, when you're trying to break free from that addiction, when you're trying to fix your marriage, when you're trying to get out of that debt, when you're grieving the loss of a loved one. There's this, these hardest moments in our life. We, we have these people, when they, when they can be close to us, it eases the pain, and we, we know they can't do it for us. But just having them there makes a difference. Jesus was in this moment of anguish. We see him in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says to his friends, guys, could you just, can you just stand with me? Can you just stand watch with me? Can you pray with me? I just need you. I need, I need your support right now. We see Jesus, in fact, praying in this garden, falling on his face in Matthew 26. It says, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground, and he prayed, Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, but not as I will, but as you will. We see the struggle with Jesus. He's in a place of emotional turmoil. He's lying flat on the ground. He's talking to his father. We see him after a while. He goes back to his friends. And of course, what he expects to see is these friends standing with him in prayer and interceding and calling on heaven on his behalf and praying strength unto him. But instead, this is what he finds as he looks at his friends in verse 40. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. And I want you to hear the disappointment in Jesus' expression here. He says, couldn't you men just keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Many times you and I have felt that frustration in a relationship. Couldn't, couldn't you, was it too much to ask? Like, couldn't you just, like, I need you now. You're letting me down. You're disappointing me. This is not, so I, I thought, Thought we had more than this. Jesus goes back to the garden to pray. And guys, it happens again. <laughs> it doesn't get any better. They disappoint him again. In verse 43, it says, when he came back, he found them sleeping again because their eyes were heavy. I mean, talk, talk about being let down in your time of need. He's already come and spoken to them about this. He's like already addressed this and they're doing it again. And guys, it doesn't get better. Jesus goes off to pray a third time. And it says in verse 45, then he returned to the disciples and he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? You know what repeated disappointment feels like in friendship? In our relationship, like, are we still having this conversation? Are you still doing this? Are you still resting? And then it says, look, Jesus said, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of the sinners. I want you to realize that as Jesus gets arrested, as, his, as he gets bound and dragged off, he's doing it from a place of a broken heart and disappointment to the very brothers he thought had his back. He's, he's being dragged off with a broken heart, disappointed in these relationships, but somehow, even through these disappointments, Jesus never gave up. Never gave up. I bet that most of us, if we were disappointed by the same person three times in one night, our decision would have just been to cut off the relationship. It's cool. If that's how you feel, we're done. 
Like if that's how invested you are in this relationship, we don't need to go further. I don't need that in my life. I, I don't want to rely on you and you have, like you disappoint me and you let me down. We're done. We're just, just cutting you off. Isn't that how most of us react? But, but look what Jesus does. He doesn't end the relationship. Instead, he addresses the disappointment. And that's what makes him so different to you and I because many of us would rather end the relationship than address the disappointment. But guys, Jesus shows us a better way. Instead of ending the relationship, he goes and says, guys, I'm disappointed. I thought you had my back. I thought you were going to be praying with me. And he addresses it every time. Guys, I thought you were going to do this. And I wonder how different your relationships would look if you treated the people in your life like family. And when they let you down and disappointed you, you didn't give up. But instead, you went to address the disappointment. When you went to say, hey, I thought you were going to pitch up in my stalk party. Like your presence meant a lot. It hurt me that you weren't there. Like, hey, I thought you were going to be my best man and you dropped me on the day of my wedding. Like, like hey, I, I thought, thought when I told you that it was just between us and now everyone knows. Jesus addressed the disappointment because he understood the relationships are worth it. I want to encourage some of you to get vulnerable to address the disappointment. Maybe you need to go to that person and say, hey, you know, I, I know it's going to be part of your wedding day, but when I got the news about your engagement, it just brought up all my self-esteem issues and that's felt terrible and, and, and I wanted to be happy for you, but I couldn't. I was just jealous. I just felt jealous of you and have made you my enemy and I'm sorry, I want to be your friend. I'm just going to be open. I'm going to be vulnerable. How different would it be if we could just address and be vulnerable with the stuff happening in our hearts? Guys, there's some of you I know. You have been, as a family, on the verge of starvation. No one knows. Your cupboards are empty and your kids are missing meals. But no one knows. Right? It's just this pride like we can't tell anyone. Some of you, your marriages, they're in trouble and no one knows. And then we're so surprised when you get divorced. We say, no one saw that coming. And it's just pride that keeps us silent. And I remind you, God doesn't honor pride. Some of you guys, man, how often with us guys, can this be real? You're like, how are you doing, really? No, I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm all right, man. As if we get gold stars from God for being all right. From having a hard out the shell. Listen, if you were meant to be the savior of the world, God would have sent you to die. But you actually needed saving, so he sent Jesus to die. He sent us a Savior so that we could call out and rely on someone stronger than us, better than us. What would it look like if the church, instead of just hiding all these things in our relationships, if we could just address the disappointment? Because then, guys, when you don't, you know what happens in your heart? You just build up this bank of unforgiveness and bitterness, and you become a toxic person, and you start to be put off any relationships because you haven't dealt with the last one. And the next time someone wants to be in a relationship with you, you're kind of hesitant. And now you're really just testing it out, and the first sign of their humanity, you're out of there. And so this one incident just goes on and on and on. But what if you and I could be, could, could stop being surprised by people disappointing us. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Because think about it. It's like a rugby player 
stepping into a rugby game and then being so surprised and offended that someone tackled him. I can't believe you did that. I can't. The audacity. Why? How? Coach, he tackled me. Guys, in the game of friendship, you're going to get tackled. Stop being surprised. Stop being so let down. Understand it's part of the game. The person you're in a relationship with now has not disappointed you yet. Just wait, it's coming. And you're going to do it too. Address the disappointment. Address the disappointment. Let's learn from Jesus because we see that Jesus was willing to do it even when it went beyond disappointment because all of us, we seem to have a line like, it's fine, you can disappoint me, but if you ever lie to me. Yeah, have you ever said that to someone? If you ever lie to me, I'm done with you. Like if you ever betray me. But, but Jesus stuck in even when his friend lied. The same night Peter was standing at the table, sitting at the table, the last supper saying, Jesus, I would never betray you. I would never deny you. All of these guys, maybe they will, but not me. A few hours later, he's there betraying Jesus. Betraying him. Denying he even knew, knew Jesus. Like, no, I don't know that guy. Well, Jesus who? Or while Jesus is there being put on trial, going through the hardest moment of his human life, his friend is here betraying him. And through all of that, Jesus doesn't give up on the relationship. How different would it be if you and I could pick up the heart of Jesus? You know what happens with Peter and Jesus at the end of the Gospels is beautiful. They make up. Right after this betrayal, after the lies, after the disappointment, they make up. And it shows us that this is really a marker of godly community. With godly community and godly relationships, they're marked by reconciliation. People reconciling with each other, despite, despite the disappointment, despite the lies and the betrayal. In godly relationships, we were quick to make up, to forgive. And let me remind you, like Jesus lived out what he preached because he preached how often we should be forgiving each other. And it wasn't like once a day. It wasn't like three times a night. He said, forgive 70 times 7, 490 times a day. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a relationship where someone has let you down 490 times in one day. But even if you have, forgive anyway. Jesus says we need to be quick to forgive, quick to let go of the offense. Forgive anyway. In fact, what we see happening is so beautiful here. Uh, After the resurrection, Peter sees Jesus again for the first time. They're on the beach. Peter's in a boat. John shouts out, hey, that's Jesus. This happens in John 21, verse 7. Says that the disciple who Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. He ran towards Jesus. <laughs> the very first opportunity for reconciliation, Peter runs towards it. He doesn't wait for the boat to kind of be pulled to the shore and have that awkward silence with Jesus. Who's going to apologize first? 
At the very first moment of reconciliation, Peter jumps out of the boat and he runs towards Jesus and they reconcile. And that is a marker of godly relationships. We are quick to forgive. We run. We don't, we don't bank on unforgiveness and stew it and allow it to grow in our hearts. We run towards reconciliation. Peter initiates it with Jesus Christ. I wonder how many of you need to jump out the boat. Jump out the boat of your pride. And go say sorry. Jump out the boat of your pride where you're saying, well, I'm waiting for them to say sorry first. Where you actually go and initiate the conversation. Where you say, hey, I think we need to talk. Hey, things haven't been okay between us. Things are different. Can we, can we chat about it? Where you ask for forgiveness, even when you don't think you did anything wrong. Jumping out the boat of your pride because you understand that unity in the body of Christ is always better than disunity. It's in unity that God commands his blessing. Church, what would it be like if you and I could be surrounded by this kind of community? We would make each other better. We would make each other more forgiving. We would learn from each other how to love How to be family. I think this is what God is calling his church to do and be. He's calling you to do this. He's calling me to do this. Listen, I have my stuff. I've been let down. Man, this week I was challenged by this message because, how to be honest with you, I've recently been very hurt by a pastor in the city. Someone who, like I, was pursuing and building relationship with and like Something happened, I felt so betrayed and so lied to. And I had that same expectation that some of you put on Christian relationships, right? This is a godly person. Like, this is going to be so easy. And I wasn't prepared for the disappointment. I wasn't prepared for the letdown. And I have not acted like Jesus. In fact, this whole year, I've been civil and nice and friendly. But I've just been doing this little by little. Not initiating things, not asking for coffee anymore, no longer sending the little funny messages. You know what it's like when you quietly reverse out of a friendship and you hope no one notices? Yeah, that's been me. And I'm committing to you. I'm done acting like the world. I'm committing to you. I'm going to be jumping out of my boat. I'm going to be running towards reconciliation, even though I feel like the victim in this. Because that is what godly relationships require. Will you do the same? Because the people around you influence you. They have an effect on you. And you have to realize if we are really going to do this well, man, guys, we have got to be committed. We've got to be committed to this. If we are going to do this well, we have to realize that when we're dealing with people, we don't have to deal with them based on who they are now. We need to see what God can do in their lives. And we have to realize that in that process, there's going to be plenty disappointment, betrayal, lies, but run towards reconciliation. Run towards it. Don't allow those things to hurt you and break you and leave you scarred and lead you resistant. Some of you, you have been put off Christianity and circles and life groups and gathering with people and you're trying to keep Christians far away Be done with that now. Realize when you're in the game, it's part of the game, but we learn how to love. We learn how to forgive in these moments. Jesus is calling you to godly community.
Can I pray for you? Can you close your eyes? God, I want to thank you that you love your church and you have called us together. God, I know there's some people even in this church who won't talk to each other, won't greet each other, won't sit next to each other, choose different services on purpose so they don't see each other. God, would you fix us? Help us jump out of our boats, Lord. We're so full of pride sometimes. We get things so wrong. Sometimes, God, we're, we're acting out of our own brokenness. But we're done with that, Lord. We want to be committed to your children as much as we are committed to you. We don't want to just love you with all our hearts. We want to love our neighbors too. God, I pray that you would build up Christian community. May, may there be a difference in how we live. May the world be jealous of our love. May the world be jealous of our unforgiveness, our unwillingness to quit on each other, our, our unwillingness to give up on those relationships. And so we submit our relationships to you, our circle to you. God, clean it up. May our circle be filled with godly people who love you. And may we be willing to sacrifice whatever we need to sacrifice to make that happen. Some of you right now, you're dealing in your hearts with, when as I was ministering, names and examples and people came to mind. Would you just ask God to help you love them? You can pray that prayer. I've prayed that many times. God, help me love that person. Maybe you're struggling with forgiveness. Just start, I mean, it starts just by asking God to help you forgive. Just do that right now. God, help me forgive. I want to, I know I need to. My flesh doesn't want to, but I'm willing. Jesus, I'm willing. Help me forgive. Maybe you know you need to reach out to someone for a coffee. Send someone a message after church. Start taking steps towards them instead of away from them. I believe some of you in this room need to make practical steps towards Christian community. You need to actively find a circle. We've made it so easy. You need to join a volunteer group or go on a Christian course, but move towards Christian community because you and I need it. God, I want to pray whatever it is you want to do in people's lives, whatever next step they need to take, may we have the courage to take it. And I pray that all of us would live and step into obedience in this part of our lives. May the people around us love you more. In Jesus' name. Amen.